Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next is uh, Reverend Dallas Wilson. Uh, as I said before, it's very crucial um, of helping local kids in the community get to the next level. And one of the things that um, from our relationship and, and, um, and through this interview, one of the things that I've um, realized is that the importance of a vision, um, the importance of having a great vision and carrying, carrying it out. And, um, and with having the vision, it's, it's uh, one of the costs you pay is great sacrifice. And, um, his sacrificial efforts has helped a lot of kids um, achieve their goals. So um, big ups to him. And again, we appreciate you. So uh, let's get to the interview. How you doing, big guy? Oh, when you get to your age, you just want to be upright, man. Yes, sir. We'll get right into it, man. First of all, you know, um, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. You know, like I said, I, I wanted to, you know, to talk to you and, and let the community know about, you know, the the backstory of uh, of the reason of Jamel president per se, and um, and I want to, you know, give you your, your praise and flowers while you can hear and see it, big guy. And so I really appreciate your time today. You know, this is a triple triple threat podcast with Jamel president, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. We got a a, a special guest in the house tonight. Um, this is my, my, my mentor, my, 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 my vision, the person that, uh, we hear about the folk union story, the college of Charleston stories. We're going to get right into all that. So, um, Reverend Dallas, uh, my first topic is, uh, New York to South Carolina. Um, we all talk about the big apple right here in South, always talk about the big apple, hear the, the stories a lot. Um, take us back in time, you know. The, the, the young Reverend Dallas and then the transition from why that transition came from New York to South Carolina. Most important thing is this, and you know, history is uh, what a person writes, what a person says. And the one thing I know about history is that it's not reliable. So I want to be able to share very, very quickly with you two things. I think um, New York was a learning place for me. It was a place that, uh, were able to walk with, with people that had very um, serious intentions, whether they were negative or positive, they were always uh, uh, applying those intentions to people's lives. Uh, grew up in the streets of New York. Uh, the one thing that, that allowed us to escape was I had a mother that was absolutely extraordinary. And she gave me two choices. And the two choices uh, I would give people even today, I think they were. She said, Either you stay in school and do well, 
or you leave my house and find a job. And I think that motivated me more than anything in the world <clears throat> to do well in school. So New York was a learning place for me. It was an academic learning place. It was a, a, an athletic learning place uh, that put me in a lot of different areas. Uh, you know, and this is just maybe a small history lesson that New York is five boroughs. And I grew up in Brooklyn, which is probably the largest of all five. We had four million in Brooklyn. And um, basketball, baseball, football, even marbles, you could find anywhere you wanted to find them. But every other block, there was a basketball court. There were large uh, football uh, stadiums and other types of things in New York, specifically in Brooklyn. And the colleges uh, and the high schools all had their own stadiums. So it was a, an athletic town as well as an academic town. And um, it taught me a lot. It absolutely taught me a lot. Um, uh, but, but, as I said earlier, a man can write his own history. Yes, sir. I'm really happy to escape New York and bring what we learned in New York to South Carolina. Uh, but our reason for coming was to build churches to affect change in people's lives spiritually and uh, to do that in a way that that people would not only have to walk out um, an earthly salvation but be able to understand what it is that would motivate them uh, for an eternity so everything that we did comes out of the purpose of we looking to see people's hearts uh, made stronger and better in our community and for our hearts to be knitted together and the most interesting way, believe it or not, to do that was not to build churches, but it was to do something that was non-threatening. Athletics are non-threatening. They bring people together. They bring people together in ways that you can never even think about until you lay down and, and started to just, and the area's pontification is to start to speak in swelling terms about them. Athletics is what got me uh, to a place that I could talk to people and feel confident in that. It got me to school did all of the other things that were important for me. It allowed me to escape um, a, a destiny that was already predestined for me, and that was to spend the rest of my life uh, either in jail or to spend the rest of my life uh, dead. And that was uh, the only two choices I had other than what it is that we learned to escape from that arena. When we came to South Carolina, it was just a place. It was like a dry blotter. It was a place that we could... Uh, we could stamp an impressionable kind of uh, a thought on in people's minds, get people to be motivated, moving towards something, something that would help them in their futures, uh, again, without threatening. But we did that through the aspect and the auspices of the church, because the church to me was the reason that we came. The church to me was the reason that um, I think everyone should be a part of, even if it's a scholastics or academics uh, or, forgive me, or, or athletics or ethereal thing. Uh, I think the church is the place to do that. Um, I'm hoping that answered at least a portion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to answer the question, that's give us an, uh, a segue to my next question and what I call the, the embryo vision. The embryo vision is basically the start of a vision um, that, that someone gets and they kind of act on it. Um, in your transition from New York to South Carolina, what was that embryo vision? And, and how did that how did that occur? Did it happen when you got here in, in, in South Carolina, or what happened prior to you leaving New York? No, well, it happened to me prior to leaving New York. Um, a vision is really interesting. Again, biblically, let me share with that first, and get an understanding where I'm coming from. 
Uh, Habakkuk 2 talks about the vision. And you have to write the vision plainly so that people can read the vision and run with the vision. It's not just you having a vision and being able to articulate it verbally. And the vision dies in the air. But it's to be able to write the vision down where people can look at it for eons, decades to come in the future, and be able to replicate those same things. Uh, I want to be able to say, in all honesty, I wish that it was an original idea uh, of me writing the vision for Midnight Basketball, or me writing the vision for our leadership camps, or some of the other things that we did when no one else in this town was doing anything like that. Right. It comes out of New York. And it comes out of New York. Let's take Midnight Basketball, for instance. It comes out of a, uh, out of a tournament that's probably the oldest tournament, the most prestigious tournament in the, in the world, and it's called the Rucker Park Tournament. And, but the difference between the two is Rucker Park was athletics only, and then that basketball turned into an athletic academic perspective where we saw young lives changed because of their academic um, um, persistence but their athletic prowess. So in other words, what I'm saying in sense is this. We saw people here that did not have all of the tools academically because of the schools and the school system in that regard. But they had all of the athletic tools. They could play basketball and baseball and football with anyone in the nation. But they couldn't compete on a national level for D1 schools and those types of things. So we saw an idea that we could take something that was non-threatening like basketball and turn it into something that would be life-changing um, you know, like the academic aspects of that and, and get people from specific high schools in our locality uh, to the D1 schools, well, to even the College of Charleston where my Jamel president went. You know, those are, those are things that are important. We send people all over the country, to the best prep schools in the country. And that's how we achieved what it was. And we sent them to the best colleges as a result. Uh, of them being able to academically achieve standards they needed to be um, drafted into those specific schools. So that was it. We wrote that down on paper, how we did it. We prayed about it. We looked at it. We formed a team around us to cause those things to happen. We made sure that the, the verbiage was simplistic and that people were able to look at it and say to themselves, this is accomplishable. And then we were able to see certain things happen. My son, Elijah, some of the changes I've seen with his uh, training that he's applied at home and at school, I will say that he's a lot more uh, conscious about what he's putting into his body, what kinds of food he's eating, um, pacing himself. He's doing that sort of thing because coach has him doing a journal. so. He's got to record these things and he's got to be honest and we keep him honest. So that helps a lot because, you know, we've been working on the weight and working on the stamina. So that's been very helpful. And over the course of a few weeks, Elijah's lost about 10 pounds since he's been wor working with coach. So that's an amazing change. Raising a student athlete is just as important as being one. Going back into your, 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 your vision, um, can you explain the purpose of your vision? Like, 
why was your vision implemented um, so heavily and so effectively? Because was that what was that purpose behind everything? Well, you know, again, growing up in the streets, you, you build a tenacity, man, as a Mary being tenacious in whatever it is that you're looking at. A lot of times people throw roadblocks. Roadblocks are just opportunities. They're not really things that like obstacles that should stop you from doing What caused me to do that is, once again, I said this as, as calmly as I could. Um, what God did for me is allow me to escape uh, the idea of being dead at 21, being uh, destroyed, you know, not allowing myself to reach my full potential. Um, getting away allowed me to take what it was that I learned and grow as I was teaching others and to gather all of the information necessary for me to reach the potential that the Lord had designed for me. And one of the things that we wanted to do was be a conduit, not to be the person that had all of the answers. I'm not the sole repository of knowledge. But I wanted to be a conduit. I wanted to, to have what I've learned from my, my experiences athletically and academically to be transferred to people's hearts that needed those same experiences. And the first thing that we had to do when we got here was to build trust in this community so that people could get an understanding that we were not here to ravish this community. We were not here to, to do things in this community that, um, that negative people would do but to do them in such a way that people would recognize it, that we had a, a plan and we had a legitimate plan to see people become successful. Um, so the first thing I think that we did was very simply move to the east side. You know, it was, it was a simple thing. And so in, in 1980, I think it was 84, 85, we started our, our trek to move here, to move downtown, to be in a place where people watch us walk in and out of a door every single day. We could talk to people and put our arms around them. We didn't try to tell them anything, just to let them know when they asked that we were starting a church and the church was going to do this and, and these are the effective uh, changes that we were going to try to make in our area. And um, those things happened. They were very, very important. And, and let me give you again a thought. Success to us is finding the will of God for your life. That's success. Um, I see you as being, and I want to, and I'll come back to our topic. I see you as being successful. And I see you as being successful because you had uh, the ability to listen, the ability to hear, and the ability to trust. You know, when we said something, you, you listened to. You didn't say, well, Brother Dallas, I don't want to do that. Not one time. I can say to this audience that listens to you every day, not one time did you ever say anything back to me that was negative. Not one time. And, and you stayed around me very close. You listened very carefully. Uh, you always had the ball game. The ball game, we couldn't give you that. We couldn't do anything with that. But we could put that ball game in a different sphere of influence. And that was very, very important. And we had to do that academically. I wanted to say that before we because it's important. And by moving here, though, which is where you and what you asked me, we met some people in John's shoeshine park. It was the most interesting meeting that I could have. And we went every day to buy lunch for the brothers that were there. We sat in Moore Park that was at that time full of glass and all kinds of things. It was just an ugly place. And, and I was asked a question, I'm going to probably make your audience laugh, by an individual named Boom Bam. And I'll never forget him as long as I'm on this world. 
and he said, he said, you came here from New York and you have all these stories. Let me see you do something about it. Mm. Let me see you make the stories have some life. Mm. And I said, well, what would you see us doing that would cause you to believe that what we're saying is the truth? He said, well, we have a lot of murders in our community and I'd like to see something that would change murders in our community. And I said, well, what about us looking at a, a basketball tournament? So you see what our park looks like. That was his, his retort back to me. I said, well, let's fix the park. He said, we can't get any money from the city. We can't get any money from this. We can't do that. Well, the longest short of that is he and John, who ran the shoe shine, and Willie, who has since, all three have since gone home to be with the Lord. We sat down, just the four of us, and we talked about a plan that I had to, and we put it on paper that would cause the city to take notice of what it is that we wanted to do. But I said when we came to Charleston that we were going to bring outside resources into the Charleston area to overload this area with resources that they had never seen before. And so what we did very, very clearly was there was one bank in, in Huma Call, and we got together and his, his thought of how he wanted to see the inner city work and my thought of let's make it work practically with the idea of these three men, we put Midnight Basketball in place. The first bit of money that we got, we got over $10,000 so quick. And we put, we got $1,000 a team. It was all old guys playing. And they were out there. And it was the first time that they could live their glory days. And that's where it started. We fixed up the, the park. Uh, the Bank of America came down. They were a nation's bank then. They came down and, and fixed the entire park, put play apparatus in the park, put benches in the park, um, fixed up the, the uh, surface of the park, uh, did all of those kinds of things. And then we drew something in the middle of the, of, the, of the park that the city allowed us to do was the midnight basketball symbol. I will send you that when I get an opportunity. It's, it's a powerful symbol. Yes, sir. And we, uh, we were able to put that in the center of the park. That made a lot of difference because people were able to walk in the park and see that it now belonged to a, a, a place, a midnight basketball place. But then my heart went to the idea, that's not why we came. And that's not why we started. We really wanted to rescue lives, see young people do well. And uh, we sat down with those three young, those three men again, and we started to talk. Let us change the concept of this so that we don't necessarily have to play midnight basketball tournaments or, or games. We want to play games and allow little kids to get an understanding of what basketball could do for their future. And then it started and it, and it grew. And, and, and you can't do that with having the highest form of love, which is agape, ministries. And I think developing that entity allowed you to maneuver in different ways because you had the entity to, of, of a church that made things that do business and relationship with, with businesses. Um, how crucial was the implementation of Midnight I mean, of, of Agape Ministries? And, and talk about, because you, you had a solid group, a, a cool group, man, that was with you with, you know, the Cochran's and, and Mr. Marcus, like... Um, how, how that energy populated to where it comes to where it came Agape Ministries? Well, when we came to Charleston in that regard, and I'm glad you asked, and thank you for taking us back to 
to something that was our foundation. When we, when we came to Charleston, our reason again for coming was to build a church that was, was different, a church that, that didn't want to accumulate wealth in, in dollars and cents, but wanted to accumulate wealth in souls and people's attitudes and wanted to change an environment and, and, and change the way of the thought process of people. So I love to teach the Bible. It's one of the things that I, I pride myself in being able to do. And, and not only teach the Bible, but to establish curriculum and, and other areas around the Bible that people can learn. So people like Marcus, I'm glad you mentioned Marcus Williams. Marcus comes from Chicago. And so he has the same mentality that I have, same street mentality, and we just hit it off immediately. And so Marcus was also an athlete. His mindset was athletics. The Cochran's, Anthony and Margaret, they were, they were athletes. You know, they, they enjoyed the sport, but they had turned their lives in a different direction and they wanted to know more about the Bible. So we had uh, people like the Campbells and other people that came, you know, and that really had it in their mind. How could you take the Bible and put flesh on it? But the strength of the Bible is not just Jesus reading in the word of God, but it's Jesus coming to earth and dwelling among us. That's the sense, being able to touch people and minister to people. Well, Agape Ministries was the foundation for that. And we were able to grow a church and, and do certain things within that church it was just extraordinary. We had people that believed in us, Mel. That was really important. Folk that followed my leadership, when I said something to them again, there was, there was very little pushback on the things that we said. So we started that church, believe it or not, with, with, um, with 75 people. It grew to 400 people at one time. It was a monstrous church at one time. And then it, 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 it started to become a church, and it scared me. I want to be very careful to say that. It frightened me because the whole thing about a church is that a church has a steeple. And people tend to think that this is all you can do. And it frightened me because we had all of these folk that were sitting in pews on Sunday but did not want to come in our community on Monday through Saturday. Wow. Mm. And, it, and I, when I, I, I took a trip in 1991, Agape was in the earth. From 1987 until that time, we had not really done anything but grow a large church. But that wasn't what God wanted from us. And I took a trip to South Africa. And I, and I had no idea why I wanted to go to South Africa because I didn't want to go. Apartheid was really just ending. It was a very, very serious time for an African-American to be in a place like that. But, but I really believe God told us to go. And as a result, I believe God changed not only my life, but the vision that we had for this community. And what came out of that was something that was non-threatening, but still did not take us away from the word of God. So I presented that to our church. And our church split in half when I presented it. They, people said, no, we've come to hear you teach. We didn't come to be involved in this community. We came to hear you teach. And I, I thought in my heart, I will never step in a pulpit again until I could find the place that, that would cause it to work. And that's what we did. So when we started building the church across the street from the cigar factory and really looking, we started the plans on that. And I think it was uh, Marcus that came to me and said, you know, we need to do something relevant in this community. We really do. And that's when, again, we got a chance to talk to Boom Bam and 
and the others. And, and we were already ripe for it. It grew right into that. Right. But I wanted to do a leadership camp before I did that. Because a leadership camp would give our people experiences on how to deal with little kids. And there had to be something progressive. So we wrote a, a curriculum and a syllabus for a leadership camp and got it funded. I can't even begin. I won't go into the dollars that it was funded in, but it was funded in, in, in monies that you just can't believe in this community. And so the kids from that camp were able now to start doing well in school and doing well in the other areas. They were traveling all over the country. And, and it turned into a really serious idea. So when I was able to talk to John and Boom Bam and Willie, that idea was lurking always in the back of my mind. How can we attach this leadership camp to this community and make this thing work in this community? And God did that. It was through Midnight Basketball. The first year we needed to do the same things we did with the leadership camp. We needed to test Midnight Basketball. Right. That's why we did it with the older guys. But the next year, we went right to the little guys. Remember, we went to a five-year-old group. <laughs> but the group that was really the group for me was the, was the high school group. It was like the 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th grades. That was important. So we developed uh, an approach out of, um, out of the Bible. Right. We developed an approach to reach that group of people. Hey, what's up, guys? In our timeout session today, we got Marcus the Glove Woods. Let's hear all about it. I always kind of had myself as a person that the basketball actually, for me at that time, was not that important, right? Um, it really was uh, going and obtaining uh, an education, a, a college degree. And if basketball was going to be the means, then, then so be it. So when I looked at the situation, I mean, I did the math. I did the math on, you know, what the, the, the point guard, Mike Beckett, was going to be a senior at the time. So I, I did the math and said, okay, by my junior year, can I be a starter here? That was really the only, the only thing that was really in my mind is could I go somewhere and start two years? I mostly wanted to be a part of a program that, you know, seemed to be about the right things. And the fact that they were moving into division one, right, just gave me an opportunity to be a part of something early on uh, to be kind of a pioneer of sort. It just, I, I thought those type of thoughts. Now let's get back to the interview. So here's the two words where you came into Charleston, South Carolina, and you want to develop the trust. And I think through the time you got that. Then you with Agape Ministries, you want to develop the love because you had to have love to go through all those things. So men of basketball is in the earth, it's moving. Me as a as a young kid, you know, I'm I'm hearing about this guy, hearing about this thing that's man, you talk to this guy. He can help get you. This group will help get to the next level. Talk briefly about the trials and tribulations um, that you had to go through because, I mean, let's be honest, you know, coming from Burke High School and, 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 and the track record here locally, not just Burke High School, but all schools, North Charleston, Wando, it's a very, very low percentage of kids getting to the next level. And it's all about information. It's all about being exposed. I think when kids – 
Ricky Bellinger, Melvin Watson, Herbert Lee Davis. When kids really found out about men at basketball and got the ministries, we started to make moves and kids started to get placed. But there were a little bit of, 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 of adversity but on time, which is always good. That's, 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 that's welcome. That's needed. Talk about those, not necessarily, you know, specifically, but how you, over, you overcame and those through love and God blessings. But briefly touch base on that, let the community know, because it ain't, it, ain't, it ain't always was, you know, peaches and roses as well. <laughs> Jamel, you hit that again on the nose. It never was peaches and roses, man. Ever. Every single step that we made was a war. And it was a war because we're bringing something new into an arena that had done things the status quo years. Um, kids play high school basketball, they become local stars, and they don't go any further. Nope. Uh, there were Carlos, uh, I can't think of Carlos's last name, Austin, I think. Carlos. Uh, something like that. Yeah, sat in my, yeah, sat in my, um, in my living room in my house and cried. He said, Brother Dallas, uh, I wish you would have come during our day. We were good basketball players. We had all of this stuff. And I, I explained to him about time, you know, Chrono's time and Kyro's time. And, and he understood it. We got him to a place where he understood that. Um, I'm trying to think of the other young man's name that was a tremendous basketball player. And he Sputto. sat with Sputto. What was his name? It was Sputto. It was, uh, I mean, you can go for days. Um, what's the other guy that him and, him and Melvin went? Added in the park one day, um, but there's a bunch of those guys, man. Yeah, but that was that was the story. So it was it was again, it was again what we said in the beginning. Obstacles to people stop people from doing what God has ordained. Oppo uh, obstacles to me are opportunities to show God as being strong. The one word that I left out in all of this is that God made me a man of faith. I needed you to get that in your mind. It's just not trust and love. But I had to believe that God was stronger than all of those things that were around me in order to make these opportunities work. There were individuals that are now my friends that absolutely were angry at me because it would appear to them I took their ball players. But I didn't take their ball players to build a reputation. I put, took their ball players because there was no opportunity for them to get an education. Uh, that was going to be transparent and, and transfiguring for them in the future. And so it was important that, that yourself and the Melvin Watsons and the Bellingers and, and the Six Nines and other people, you know, were able to, to understand that we're not, we're not here to disrupt a school system, but we're here to cause people that others think um, only have an opportunity for jail or for death or for a, a, a low-paying job. And we just fall into the fabric of our community. We reproduced ourselves. Uh, we were here to break that. Uh, I did not care what kind of negativity came from that. We're not afraid of the negativity. And, and they had more power than a lot of people thought. It was just <laughs> a very, it was very interesting because we never pushed people. Right. But when somebody came at me with that, um, the long and short of all of this is that the Board of Education, the people that ran the Board of Education were my friends. And they were very, very interested in what we had to say because they were, they were seeing someone that was interested in education and not just athletics. So we got the chairman of the, of the board and other people that were signing off on things that we were about. So a lot of things that happened in the school system that people wanted to say were negative, very, very positive for us. 
and they could not do as much as they thought they could do to us because our agenda wasn't personal. The other thing that people don't recognize, and I think if you spoke to the Cochrans or to Marcus or to Jeff Coates or to anybody, is that I, I live by faith. You know, it was the most amazing thing in the world. I didn't have a salary. I didn't take a salary until I got to St. John's. I didn't take a salary from Agape. We just came to change lives. We came to change ideas in people's lives. And, and <clears throat> the trials and tribulations, and all this is happening on the east side of Charleston. Not like we're in West Ashley. Not like you're in, you know, some place where it's, it's, it's a moderate. East side of Charleston is very, very busy with crime. And, and you stuck your nose in there and, and made it happen. You know, I, I never forget, you know, me being a businessman now and, you know, coaching the Oceanside. And, and I know the, 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 the preparation and funding and time to take 12 players to uh, Las Vegas for a trip. Here, you're taking 40 kids that never probably been on an airplane before, a staff. I mean, it was, what, 75, what, 50 people? Like, going. <laughs> I mean, we went, to, we went to Los Angeles, went to Arkansas. We played in... In, in, in high traffic crime areas, just like our areas was in, in, in Charleston. And that was so effective in taking athletes that we saw on TV across the world. Now we get a chance to play against these athletes and then busting their butt. I never forget that time we was in Compton and we went in the game and these guys start walking in with bottles and, and, and bear cans. And so we threw the game because we knew because of where we were in Charleston, we knew what could happen. And we threw the game. But we appreciated the, the, the experience. Talk about that. Why was that a purpose? Why, why did you feel that was important to get us out of that area and show us something different? You know, the most important thing in the world was the size of a basketball court, the height of a rim. It allowed people to see that there were similarities everywhere in the world. A place where you were the most comfortable mm. on a basketball court it was the same dimensions all over the world for basketball. And I want to back you up a minute. You all didn't throw a game. You lost that game by one point. And these guys didn't have bottles and, and beer cans. They had guns. <laughs> and they walked in that place with guns and sat on the stage with me with guns. Now, remember, we had three policemen that went with us. Right, right. And the policemen said to us, Brother Dow, these, these kids have guns. So I said to, to you guys in a huddle, that was the only time I even walked in, I remember Spigner, that was the only time I walked into a huddle. And I said, here's what I need you to do, play as hard as you can. But you, I want you to look very carefully at, at, at what's around you and understand your, you know, your environment. Do you remember this, though, Jamel, that you guys only lost one game? Remember we went to Arizona after that? We lose a game in Arizona. We didn't lose, we lost one game in Compton. One game, one game. We we were there. We were out in that community, in those two communities, for gosh, it had to be close to three weeks. Easily, uh, it's crazy. But we didn't lose anything athletically. You guys, when and I wanted to jump and then come back. When you came back on the plane, it was just a different group of people. Totally, totally. It was a different group of people. Uh, the politics of that, you see, again, people don't understand. Carol Campbell, who was the governor of the state of South Carolina, called Pete Wilson, who was the governor of California, and wow. said to him, wow. and said to him, I've got a kid that wants to bring 40 kids to your place. 
to play basketball. Is there anything you can do? Well, let me tell you this. Our hotels were free because wow. <laughs> Pete Wilson called the governor of Arizona. Wow. See, people don't understand power in that regard. Power is not what a person talks about. It's not assuming that a person can do things. It's what a person knows and who a person knows. And what the Lord did for me was give me favor with very, very powerful people. And we never use that power to benefit Brother Dallas or Sister Janie or anybody else. We use that power to do things that were important. That power also caused an individual after this trip, you, know, you probably won't remember this, to walk into our church at Agape. When we were across the street, it was the most beautiful thing in the world to walk into our church and write a check for us for $25,000 so people could start going to school for free. It's crazy. And, and hundreds of thousands. We, went, we sent kids to school on a nickel on a dollar. <laughs> and not one, it's, it, it's no brag or anything else. Again, you can ask Cochran or anybody else that you want to ask. Um, I never signed a check. As long as I've been in ministry, I've never put my name on a check. It'll, it'll, it would never have happened because it's the one thing that I always wanted. Preachers fall for two reasons. They fall for illicit affairs and for the dollars. Can't do that. But when we were in California, I watched a group of kids mature in such a way that was unbelievable. Out of those 40 Five kids that went, three teams we took, three full teams. Out of those 45 kids that went, only six or seven kids did not go to prep schools or Division I schools. Six or seven kids. That's awesome. That's amazing. Three kids died that were there. But one kid, we changed his life in such a way in the community. That he saw, he just, every place that Jamie went, there was protection for her. Mm. And he would tell the people in the community, don't you touch, don't you even think about dealing with this lady or their children. Don't you think about it. I mean, it was, it was the most amazing thing in the world that happened from Midnight Basketball in that regard. Because what people started to recognize is that this was a force that was way beyond something that was local. And you made one other statement that I need to, come back and let you let you hear very carefully. Well, this is a very serious thing. We came with the idea of bringing resources to the east side, not taking anything from the east side. So we wanted to make sure that, first of all, we were on the east side living. That was the first resource we needed to bring in there. You know, and, and here's another thing that people might not understand. My house across the street from the park, I never closed the doors on that house one day that we were there. Not one day. Mm. Never closed the doors to my car. Mm. Not one day. And that's what I was talking about, people trusting us and us loving them and them loving us back. But it was because of the faith that God gave us. Now I want to get back to, to California. Mm -hmm. When we came out of California, it was the first time, I hope you remember this too, that we had all of those vans, seven, eight, nine, I don't know how many vans, Aerostars, Stars, I remember. remember. And we would pack people in those vans. I mean, to go from from Los Angeles to, uh, to, to uh, Arizona, to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. All those vans were paid for. You ready, you ready for this? That's really very interesting, man. Not only were they paid for, do you remember coming out of the 
airport to the first hotel, we had a police escort. Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> if you want a description about the training, Coach Jamel deals with the whole athlete, the entire athlete. So it'll start off, they'll run around a few times, so you get that, you know, get that warm up. He gets them moving around, and he builds on all those little things. And then you get to the fundamentals, um, doing layups and crossing over and the dribble. and the, So he builds, you know, he's not just tossing a bunch of things at, at the athlete, and he meets them where they are. He's not a one-size-fits-all kind of coach. Raising a student-athlete is just as important as being one. And this is not ego. This is what could happen if a community comes together for the benefit of its children, for the benefit of, of, of people that are disenfranchised, that don't have the sense and purpose that they're built for. They can't fulfill God's purpose for their life because there's no one that can push them to show them. This is the benefits of you just not trusting the flesh of man, but trusting the, the walk of a person, you know. So that happened, but again, when you guys got back home, I was proud. But what's the funniest part of that trip that you remember? I don't. Remember when we went to Grand Canyon? Oh, yes, yes. You remember? And we were flying yes. over Grand Canyon. Yes. Into Los Angeles. And the brother said, man, you see that big hole? <laughs> I mean, again, I forgot, about, I forgot about that trip alone. Like, I haven't, I haven't been there since and I'm like those things those experiences man is it's I mean I'm flabbergasted just to even think of them you know because those things like you said we came back from those trips we came back home and we, we walk around with our chest out it was it was it was awesome the way that burgundy jersey with the white it was a burgundy one with the white print and it had the white with the burgundy print and um and with the with that logo and I'm telling you man we, it was a it was a it was a a, a joy to be a part of that and say, hey, look, no, we're going to do this. We are going, oh, I'm playing this basketball tournament. We're going to do this. So all those things in, in all those, uh, your, your energy, create a product like myself. And, and, and anything I tell, anything I do, I always, always shine like Reverend Dallas, Minute Basketball, Gabby Ministries, is I'm a product of that. Let's talk about that whole transition because, you know, it, it, my mom, we had a long talk. She didn't really know what was going on. Um, I know I wanted to go to the next level. This is my only out. I'm a, I'm a senior. I have no, I didn't know anything about Clearinghouse. I didn't know anything about ACT scores. The Citadel was recruiting me. I was going to go there with Prop 48. I didn't really want to go to Citadel because of the military, but the college charge wasn't recruiting me. So, I mean, I was, I was up the creek with no paddle. Um, take us back and, and then take us, uh, you know, up because and, and talk about the, the Folk Union trip that I thought I already had a spot, which I really didn't have a spot at Folk Union. <laughs> well, again, let me say it from the beginning: the thought that we had in opening up this this, um, this wonderful conversation. Um, wow. 
One of the most important things that happened to me while I was here, while we were doing midnight basketball, was one day I was standing with my arm around you in the park and you were angry at something. I don't know what it was. And I said, I need to get your butt out of here. That's what I need to do. You said, but where, where will I go? What will I do? I remember that clear. And I said, you know, I really need to get a chance to talk to your mom. I said, because you remember, we had we sent Melvin away the year before. Right. Winchington. Yeah. And we sent he and, and this big kid. I can't remember his name. And, and then Bellinger went up. High low. High low. Yeah. And then Bellinger went up. So forth. But the greatest, the greatest um, incident from an area of trust and, uh, and faith and love for a person happened in a conversation with Imam. That was, uh, I will never forget that in my life. I said, ma'am, all I ask you, I know you don't know me from Adam, is just trust me with the child. I will not do anything to hurt him. I promise you I won't. And I will go to any length to get him to a place where he can play at any level that he wants to. And, and she said, well, how will you do that? And I said, well, we're going to get him out of here first. And we're going to get him to a place that will change his, uh, the way he thinks about himself and the way he thinks about things around him. And it's going to change the mindset that he has. And, and your mom said something to me that, that I probably never said to you. She said, I don't quite understand everything you're telling me. I just believe that what you're saying. So she said, well, okay, it's on you then, Brother Dallas. I said, well, okay, uh, let me make some calls and do some things. So I called Coach Arrett. <laughs> and I said to Coach Arrett, I said, now, Coach, you made a mistake because you jumped on me about Melvin and, and Melvin wasn't coming. I said, I got a kid at the rim of a basketball, the rim of this, the rim looks like an entire court to this kid. So he can shoot from anywhere in the world. He'll come out of a car shooting a basketball because that's what he does. So it's like putting a marble into the biggest trash can in the world or throwing stones into the ocean. I mean, you have to add, if he, I don't know if Coach Aaron is still alive, but he, he said, Brother Dallas, I trust you and love you. And all the words, we were laughing. <laughs> I fell out laughing. He was using all these words to tell me, no, he couldn't do it. I said, well, um, when do you have your next practice? And he told me. Never forget that. And I said, well, I'm going to bring this kid there. He said, well, now we, we don't have any room for this kid. We don't, we, we don't have room. I have 15 basketball players. I have people that come, came all the way from California to play ball for me. We have the number, I think it was the number eight squad in the nation or something or other. And I said, this kid is from a little place in, in Charleston and are you kidding me? And I said, just tell me when you have your next practice. And this is what I was talking about faith. And he told me when the practice was. And I thought in my mind, in order to get there to that practice, you have to leave at, at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. In the morning. And uh, so I, I called your mom and told your mom, you know, you need to get Jamel ready. We need to be out of the house. I need to come get you guys. We're going to take a trip up in the Fork Union. I had no concept. I told her, I don't even know where the thing is. I don't know where Fork Union is. But I just know that this kid's going to be.
And the only thing they have in that town is a McDonald's. They don't have nothing else in that town. Right about that. And, and I laughed, I laughed till the day on that. So here, people getting in the car to ride with me to a place, already thinking we're going to school. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm praying all the way there. I said, Lord, give Jamel the best game, the best ball game that he has ever had in his life today. And let this kid play basketball like, like I know he can. And the only thing I told you was the same thing I told you in California. Same dimensions on the court, same height to the rim. These, these kids are nothing like you, and you can do anything you want to do. And I remember Coach Aaron would not even come next to me on the bench. The other assistant coach sat with me and talked to me. That was at the beginning. And, and he waved for you to come in. I remember that. And I remember you being on the court that one time and never coming off the court again. And I looked up, and he's sitting next to me. <laughs> and he says to me, what do, you, what do you want for this kid? I said, what do you mean, what do I want for him? I want this kid to get an education. I want him to pass his ACTs. I want, I want everything in the world for this kid that he deserves so he can go to school. And Coach Aaron is the one that said this. He said it clearly. He said, you know, this kid can go anywhere he wants to go to college. I said, that's not the story that we're at right now. Right now, what I want to do is get him prepared so he can go to school. I don't know who lost their scholarship. I don't know who lost their starting spot, but whoever it was, they lost that. You played some serious basketball that day. Um, you, you looked over at me, and all I said to you was, you know, I put my hand on my ear. I remember it's just listen, son. Don't say anything back. Listen. They rough you up. Listen. Don't say anything back. And I, I told you one time when you ran by me, I said, whatever you do with this next play, take this brother to the hoop. And he didn't know you could jump. <laughs> And you drove by this brother, and your, your arm was over the rim like this. It was the most beautiful thing. And he said, oh, my God. And he sat next to me. He said, Brother Dallas, um, I'll give him a half scholarship. I said, we can't afford to pay any money. Hmm. Hmm. That's the whole story. And all of that's a legend. You, your, your name is on, 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 on walls and stuff up there. You just People still talk about you, what you did, the kinds of basketball you played, the kind of man you were. But all of this, Jamal, I, I, I got to be honest, my friend. It was all your mom, man. That lady, that lady was absolutely like no other mother that I knew. The closest thing to that, believe it or not, the closest to that was when, uh, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the brother's name, and uh, Robbie Davis in Georgetown, Herbie Lee Davis. Yeah, yeah. Lee <laughs> Robbie Davis, because Robbie Davis was, was in the church that we built over in Georgetown. And Robbie Davis trusted me with his child because he knew me. So Herbie Lee was the only one. And his mother <clears throat> came to talk to Robbie because it was Robbie Davis's little sister. So I didn't have to do anything there. <clears throat> but your mother trusted me from the beginning. And, and that was unbelievably important. In today's Time Out message, we got Chucky Robinson. You have to have a balance of uh, playing basketball um, and in the books. And like you said before, I didn't um, 
I didn't um, make my scores, so I had a decision to make. Um, I had to either go to prep school, like you said, I think it was Maine Institute, Institute, or I can go to a junior college. Mm -hmm. And um, I chose the junior college because at that time, we wasn't financially equipped to pay for uh, tuition going to Maine Institute where I came from. So I said the best route for me so I can uh, put my family at ease is getting a scholarship. And I got a scholarship at uh, Howard Junior College and uh, it uh, turned my life around, uh, especially uh, my mom and my family then wouldn't have a burden of, of uh, having to pay out of pocket. So I took that in consideration to, um, to take that scholarship. I also had some other scholarships to play junior college ball, but for me, I wanted to get away from home and right. get in a different environment so I can focus on myself, get to know who I am at the time. Cause I was young, everybody go through a lot of spurs. So I want to just know who I am being away from home, being away from my environment that I grew up in and, and get to figure out things on my own. I didn't want to lean on anybody else. Now let's get back to the interview. And, and all those things, now we came to, you know, to fruition. And, and I tell, like, Day Foundation, uh, Day Foundation is Dolores and Estelle. And I told you, and I tell people all the time, like, that's the reason why that was started. Because I wanted to be how I feel about you and how I appreciate you. I want little kids to look at me the same way. Because I created, like you said, a conduit, you know, a situation, an op opportunity, you know, to, to, to get from one place to, a, to, the, to the next. And... And I think that's that's crucial. We got we spent a lot of time, well, a little bit of time in the Great Alaskan Shootout, shootout <clears throat> in Alaska, uh -huh. and I was so 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 pissed at that game. I I think I was going to I was ready to transfer after that game. I felt like, you know, Chris didn't give me he didn't give me the opportunity that I that I that I that I wanted, and uh, and I said that to say this because I, I we talking about Syracuse and. And I said to say this, like all these athletes that play in these colleges, there's no way you can be able to get through college without having a support system. Because had I not spoke to you, I was so mad. Now I would have probably left the college in Charleston just because I wasn't happy. But you know, you told me stuck through it, and you gave me that 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 confidence to to, to stick through. I need to make you laugh again, even with that. I'm not gonna tell the on about the coach because he might get in problems still because he's still coaching. But uh, he was, I walked in the airport and I said to him, I said, you know, my, my kid does not want to stay at the College of Charleston. He's got to be a little upset at what's going on. And he said, well, send him here. <laughs> he said, I, I got a place for him. Send him here. But the greatest, the greatest thing that happened on that trip was the coach at Stanford. Mm. The coach at Stanford said to me, you know, because he overheard me talking to this other coach in the airport. He said, listen, we have the best academic system in the country. We have a good basketball, you know, um, environment. Uh, he is on the coast with a lot of, you know, a lot of good pro teams and so forth. And this kid's got the ability. And, and, um, and I said, would you play him at Pooh? And he said, I surely would if he, if he wants to. Now, I never came back to you with this. Right. Never came back. Because I really, 
once you had made up your mind about the College of Charleston, then I wanted you to be, I wanted you to be what it is that you wanted to be. I tell people you had three Big Ten scholarship offers. You know, if you called Coach Harry, he'd tell you you had three Big three Big Ten offers. You didn't even look at that. You wanted to be in a place where your grandma was, and I'll never forget that in my life. I'll never forget that either. You 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 did well. You you didn't you didn't play at the next level for varying sundry reasons, man. Uh, it's not your ability. None of those had to do with your ability. I will tell that to anybody in the world. You know, your ability to play ball and do the things that you were told to do, they were extraordinary. Uh, till today, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're one of my favorite children in the world. I just, uh, I just believe that God has done something in you. I told you before, you take the same attitude, you stick it in a good church building, you know, and, and, and look really carefully at, at what God has done for you and what you in turn can do for the body without getting to a place of playing church, you know, then I, I think the whole of your life will be totally complete. You have, uh, uh, I was blessed to see Mr. the other day. That thing blessed me in ways that you'll never know. You will never have an idea of how much that blessed me. And uh, I, don't, I can I don't, say over and over, you know, all of these things are good, brother. Yes, sir. And I don't regret, you know, at being the college Charleston because, like, you know, you, you, I think your life is, is, is scripted, is already scripted. You just have to really follow through and, and, and do the best you can with the opportunities you have. And I think me being in business and, and pursuing my career and doing the thing I'm doing with my son and my, and, my, and my craft, I couldn't do it coming from another school because of the disconnect being in another state. Yeah, playing the next level would have been crucial, but I think – Knowing what I know what I know now about finances and politics and business relations, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to sustain that lifestyle had I got the big money and went along. I wouldn't have been grounded. So everything's happened for a reason. Um, so those things I really really appreciate. You know all that. But our next topic we're talking about. You know, in, in closing, we're talking about St. John's and uh, the word. Emeritus, Emeritus, how do you pronounce that? E-M-E-R-I-T-U-S, Emeritus. Oh, Emeritus. 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 uh, The former holder of an office, especially a college professor, having retired but allowed to retain their title as an honor. And I see that's on on um, on your signature. That, St. John's, that, 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 that word, and James Comey, which I also saw the picture give you an award for your accomplishments. Talk about those three things in 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 in, in after midnight basketball life and how those things has impacted the community continuing on. Well, the most there are two serious individuals that have made impact in my life that are not my mom and and a good buddy of mine, Jackie Cavanaugh, who we talk about a lot, who uh, Coach Roger Brown. I'm just a tremendous basketball player himself. But um, probably the the most impactful individual, other than Fred Richard, who is my pastor, and he's the uh, pastor at Northwood Assembly. He's retired at Emeritus in that regard. Is uh, the Right Reverend uh, Edward Salmon. He is the bishop of the Episcopal Church. <clears throat> when I first became an Episcopal. 
Midnight Basketball, again, what people don't understand would have died on the vine had it not been for Edward Salmon. Because towards the end, when in the 2000, <clears throat> 2002, I think it was, I really was tired. Everything was Brother Dallas. <laughs> Everything had to do with how important I was. And, and, and that just was not why we were there. And I just really said, you know, in 2002, we're stepping back. We're going to be finished. And Midnight Basketball was such an icon now in the earth. We felt that anybody could run it. We could not find anybody that even wanted to step forward to run it. And um, um, Bishop Salmon said that he had a young man that could absolutely run the tournament and do well with it. And he said, we would fund the tournament. We will do whatever you need us to do to keep the tournament alive on the east side. And he said, but I have a favor to ask you. And uh, I don't ever tell this story at all. And I said, well, I'll be glad to do anything that I can, you know, that doesn't violate my spiritual sense of what I want to do. And I knew that wasn't going to happen. And I said, but I also have a favor to ask so he said, well, you ask your favor first, and I'll ask. I said, no, you tell me what you want, and then we can do that. That was the truth. He's home with the Lord now. He said, why don't you become an Episcopal priest? Mm. And I said to him, why would I possibly want to do that? I have my degrees. I have the things. That I, I don't need to do that at all. Why would I want to do it? And a thought came to mind. Like, you know, a good point guard, you think on your feet, you look at distribution, you look at some of the things that you have to see, but you're always, always, you're in the center of the court looking at every aspect of what it is that God's called you to do on a basketball court. Whether you're in a corner, you're still in the center of the court as far as you're concerned. No right. matter where that point guard goes, that becomes the center of the court. And I, I thought my wife has been with me forever, has done... You know, I, I, this is the one lady that has absolutely saved my life. And I wanted to see her fulfill what God had for her. She knew I was going to be able to retire and, and so forth. So in 2002, she went back to college. Hmm. And, and, and a lot of that was done for and with her that she didn't have the struggles around her to make that come to pass. So he said, I need you for the next two years to study what the Episcopal Church is about. And then I want you to become an Episcopal priest. And I told him, if I become a priest in the African American Family Center, or what it is that my wife wanted to do, mm. had to be put into that building so that we could do that. Mm. He said, Brother Dallas, you got a deal. That's, this is as spiritual as it got. You got a deal. So I worked hard for two years. I became an Episcopal priest. I had all of the the academic education I needed, so I didn't need any of that. I just needed to know what the Episcopal Church was about. His goal was to dig St. John's out. Like Father Grant, who is the physical reason I'm in charge. Father Grant never ran a church out of St. John's. It was always a community center. But Bishop Salmon wanted a church as well as a community center. So that was my heart, to put a church in place. And it was Part of my experience. Gotcha. St. John's became an experiment. Gotcha. Because what we tried to do with St. John's was to send young African Americans to seminary. Mm. 
That's the major reason that we put St. John's in the earth. We had five couples that we were getting ready to go to seminary. That was my promise to him that we would get anywhere from three to six couples ready in the amount of time. But 2015, I was retiring. I was finished no matter what. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't going to do anything more. But of course, they talked me into staying until two more years. So we stayed for two more years. But uh, the excitement came with my wife graduating, getting a, a, a degree in biblical counseling, getting a master's degree in biblical counseling, splitting a master's degree. She has a pastoral master's degree. And then she has a PhD. All of that happened as a result of us coming to St. John's. Queen, All that happened as a result of, of us and Midnight Basketball and looking for some areas of that. Uh, Agape was already in good hands with Matthew Jeffcoat, so I didn't have any problem with Agape. And St. John's did every single thing we asked St. John's to do. I, we grew a really beautiful church out of St. John's. We had really important people that came through that. But it took me away from everything athletic. It took me away from everything. We, you, you did not see anything athletic come out of that, out of St. John's at all. It took me absolutely away from that. Because what Bishop Salmon really wanted was he wanted more African-American Episcopal priests. And that was my job. Yes, sir. So we now Matthew, Matthew Rivers is over there now. Good, good guy, too. I know Matthew uh, well. Yeah. Uh, the James Comey Award. Can you explain that briefly before we get into our last topic? I'll make you laugh again. I'm, I'm sitting down in the church with my wife, and I get a call from the FBI. I'm saying, wait, whoa, man. I, I haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> so this lady on the other end of the line says, uh, are you Brother Dallas? I said, yeah. She said, well, we need to come and see you. I said, well, what is it about, ma'am? She said, well, I'll have to tell you when we get there. It's really well, – now, when the FBI tells you something like that, they come to get you. Right. I right. don't care who you think you are. They're coming right. to get you for something. Right. And I said, man, that's all right. You guys, you, know, you can stay in Columbia <laughs> with the FBI, with anything. And we laughed about that. But when she came, she said, you have been nominated by every sheriff's department just about in, 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 the state, you know, in this low country. Uh, he said, Al Cannon and, and some of my FBI people. Wow. have said that the things that you have accomplished in the time that you've been here, they read an article in the state paper. They did an article on me. I can't remember when it was. It was a huge article. And they said that we really need to find an individual that's more faith-based, that has affected his community in a way. And you've stayed in Charleston. He said, you know, we've heard that you've had office to go everywhere in this country. I said, that's the truth, but this is where God called me to Charleston. So they came, they said, well, the, you know, the director, James Comey, wants to give you a special award for the state of South Carolina. Awesome. Awesome. And like I said, when I was talking about your mom, that put tears in my eyes. I said, for what? I said, what we've done, we're supposed to do. And this lady said, no, um, they're looking at that as something that hasn't ever been done in the state of South Carolina. That's awesome. They want to give you an award for it. That's awesome. So and, my wife know, and I went to, to uh, Washington to get this award. That's awesome. 
Good evening, everyone. Andy Pruitt with you. There is a new movement in the local basketball community, thanks to College of Charleston Athletic Hall of Famer Jermel President. It's called the Oatmeal Recipe. The goal? Improve the chances of kids in our area playing at higher levels of the sport by making sure they are well-rounded. Follow the person in front of you. Do what the person in front of you does. Most athletes metabolism so fast, right? We burn it off so fast. So what the oatmeal does is kind of give that metabolism something to eat on. And Jamel President believes athletes need more to eat on than just talent. The former Burke standout says so many low country basketball players from poor neighborhoods aren't receiving the training in fundamentals, academics, and nutrition. The oatmeal recipe is a program to help change that. My last question, and I'll let you go, is I created something called an oatmeal recipe. In my oatmeal recipe for athletes, is skill development, nutrition, and education. And I think that transcends no matter what sport you're playing, what career you're in, those three things matter. So briefly, talk to me about, and you can just leave one answer, but you're gonna you know, include all three. How important is skill development in your life and how do you apply it? How important is education, obviously, very important, how do you apply it? And nutrition, how important is uh, those three things and how do you apply them that compares to an athlete and yourself in closing? Well, I'm an old guy now, so nutrition is, is, is really a byproduct. I smile at you with that. I love to eat what I love to eat. Yes, sir. Uh, let me just say for an athlete, you properly. There's certain things that you need to have. Fried foods will kill you. That's the truth. They, they clog your arteries and do all types of things to you. I, I would think that there are all types of... Um, nutritious things. I would love to see a, a cookbook for athletes, you know, published. I'd like to see someone take that time and say, you know, this is what I believe would be a benefit for young kids growing up. And, and break that, that book up into three different sections, you know, uh, middle school, high school, college. Mm. You know, and these are the things that you eat to gain momentum and other kinds of things like that. I, I believe nutrition is important. Bible tells you how important it is to take care of your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So those kinds of things you you, you read on the money with, uh, you know, uh, education. Uh, you you can't live in this world without being educated, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be in walls and four walls to be educated. But it means that everything that you see with your naked eye is a form of education for you. You should be able to explain what you see. And explain how it is um, it impacts your life. The surroundings are the greatest education you're ever going to have. Your environment. If your environment is not conducive to you being um, all you can be, so to speak, then your education. No matter. I know kids that have gone to school and, and got degrees and are spending the next 25 years in jail. So it's not just a, a formal education. It's an experiential education as well be able to apply what it is that you learn by looking around you and seeing what God has produced you. And, and Psalms 19 it deals with something called the general revelation. So as you look at trees and look at certain issues and certain things that go on in your life, you start to see these things in the reality of, in the eyes of God, how God sees them. You know, no man made the trees. God made the trees. God made everything. Man might have reproduced of things from the trees they didn't make the trees so education to me is vital 
is not necessarily classroom. It's experiential and classroom. You have to have them both. Just can't be an academic. You know, you have to be a person that allows something to happen to them and they respond to. They respond to it in a way that's beneficial and not in a way that's violent or other types of uh, uh, procedural things that, that people do without education. When you don't have any tools and you can't think the re result is, is violence. Mm. And so it's important. Skills, that's interesting. Athletic skills, like I said, I getting back to Jamel President, I, I, I would pray that people could watch you when you were a little boy. And the skills that you had as a little boy, just athletic skills as a little boy, ninth, eighth, ninth grade, just a little boy. Like your little guy has right now, like this guy has. Those skills. And all you have to start doing now is feeding his mind, getting his mind so he'll understand you won't grow beyond himself, you'll understand. The thing that I'm the most proud of though in skills development uh, with you is interpersonal skills. You know, you're able to articulate what it is that you need. You're able to talk to people. There's a calmness about your demeanor when you're talking. That's interpersonal skills. There's an assurance. There's a sense that you can't be taught that. You grow into that. You grow into that by not reacting to circumstances, by responding to circumstances. Um, I just think skills development is, is probably the most important thing in the world when you identify the skill that you want to and, and And don't, and don't, and in this our last topic, I just want to say to you that, you know, I appreciate you. I love you. And and don't, don't think for a chance that all the things that, you know, Kids watch you, and and I say this, and I and I do this because I know kids watch me because I watched you. You know what I mean? I watch not from a standing up watching you, looking at you, but just like what you say about building an alliance, about knowing what power is. You, you know what I'm saying? I know you're a very powerful man, and you don't got to move to be powerful. You can push a button, and it's all about you say the relationships and the trust and the love people have for you. So. There's no other reason why I couldn't want to adopt those type of characteristics, you know, to have that same type of respect. And um, again, I appreciate you. I thank you. And I love you, big guy, for, for from the time you came from New York, coming here and, and establishing those things. I'm a product of that. My kid is a, is, is a beneficiary of the things you implemented into me. You know what I mean? So hopefully, you know, as he grow and I teach him, his kid's going to be a beneficiary, all because of your work, 30 four years, 30, whatever years ago. And again, I appreciate you and I, and I thank you so much for that. Well, um, I'll tell you with, with all sincereness, um, my wife and I love you with a very deep love. Uh, we're, we're, we're very proud of you. This is the way we started this, this, um, this conversation. And we continue to be proud of you because you continue to do the things that impact people's lives. History, any man can write it. I told you that from New York. It's a legacy that you're leaving. And I thank you for being in my life. God bless you, my friend. Thank you, man. You have a good day. You too, my brother. All right. Love you. Bye. So there it goes, guys. Another great interview. A lot of great topics. A lot of things shared. A lot of history about things, how they happen, uh, where they derived from. Um, we're really having fun on the podcast. You get to hear from a lot of great people that did a lot of great things. Uh, coming up next, we got Marcus the Glove Woods. And we talked about his recruiting time, 
at the College of Charleston, um, the transition into his professional career and what he's doing to help kids in the community in his area in Atlanta, Georgia. So stay tuned and uh, we'll be right back. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Yeah.